0: Thank you for tuning in to Changemakers Without Borders on CFUZ Peach City Radio in BC. This show is also in Ontario and several other community radio stations. And I have the honor of interviewing James Hill and Ann Janelle about their musical journeys and how they teach kids and adults how to work with this amazing instrument that can bring so much joy, so much development, social and emotional, to everybody no matter the age. I hope you enjoy the only thing is that the file was corrupt on my end everything just completely broke down the only time it has ever happened in any of my interviews. And unfortunately, it didn't even happen when I could just go back and record again, like in my narrative episode. So I hope you still enjoy. James and Anne's voices are stellar because we had their recording on their end, but mine is a little bit cringy. So I hope you still are able to receive the amazing insights that they bring to us about the importance of music and how it can help our children grow into better, more balanced
1: people. Very special guests join Changemakers today, both award-winning musicians and UBC graduates, James Hill and Anne Janelle, who have traveled all over the world, not only to perform, but to bring education to teachers on how to bring music literacy to students in the best, most engaging way possible. Under the James Hill Ukulele Initiative, which after a decade has become the mega eucropolis world that they have created together, where teachers and students from countries like Japan, Germany, Australia, the U.S., their home country, Canada, and others are taking this one-of-a-kind, specialized teacher training program to be the best teachers ever. Welcome
2: to the show. Thanks, Mai.
1: Thanks, Mai. Happy to be here. (laughs) It's good to have you. Could
2: you tell us what is Ukokropolis exactly? Ukokropolis is—it's um, an imaginary city where everybody plays the ukulele and everybody gets along, and music is the music is like water. So, I mean, what it really is is um, the the amalgamation of several threads that I started. Uh, many years ago. So what Utropolis did was it brought together the projects that I'd worked on for a decade into one place. Uh, and, and now we have one community that um, is really thriving.
1: And what need is it filling, uh, especially the teacher training program? I mean, teachers can go on YouTube and, and learn, you know, the, the C chord and I can think, kind of thing. What, what makes the Jihui, as we call it, uh, program different?
2: I, I think the best answer for that is for teachers to go on YouTube and just spend some time there, and you will see very quickly uh, that it, it's a bit of a dog's breakfast. You know, like it's it's hard to find what you want. It's hard to find material that really speaks to your students. YouTube is an amazing wonder of the world, but it is you know heavily influenced toward the game of Getting followers and getting eyeballs on your advertisements and monetizing your videos and it's somewhere in that storm of influences and um, and factors somewhere in there is the content that you want but it's like it's like trying to you know run through a swarm of bees every time you want a little bit of honey. It's like, oh, you know, I'm just going to buy a jar of honey. And uh, buying buying a jar of honey without having to go through the swarm of bees, that's the training that I'm offering. It's somewhere else. It's it comes from a history, history of three generations, generations of, of teachers, teachers who have worked in the classroom. classroom. It's, it's not, not just me. me. This is uh you know, this is wisdom that has been passed down for generations. Yuktropolis is ad-free. It's more like a library. You, know, you go in there and it's a peaceful, calming place where people are genuinely interested in sharing good information, wisdom, and experience. That's a very different thing from YouTube. YouTube is not a classroom. And the, and the best way to find that out is to go and spend some time on YouTube. Yeah,
1: I mean, I decided to take the uh, Jihui training myself. Right? I went all the three levels um, and we used to meet in Vancouver and you also did it in Toronto and of course other countries. Now it's all online. How is that change uh, feeling?
2: <laughs> well, it's a big change, but it's also a, a change that everyone is experiencing right now. So um, the funny thing is we had planned to bring the j certification program into an online format before we even knew what COVID was. Um so we had always planned to do that and then once covid hit it almost made it look like we were sort of clairvoyant or something well, you know you
3: sort
2: of were you <laughs> kind of were accidentally clairvoyant to sure. to start that process last november because it takes a long time to pivot these things Uh, there's a lot of rethinking and reworking that has to go into having an online program that used to be an in-person program so i mean first of all we you know we launched it first of july it's gone really well i'm really happy with it and um but it was a ton of work and i think that the payoff to that is that we're able to access so many more people who couldn't afford to fly to vancouver or to toronto the accessibility of it is increased a lot. Also the price of it has come down. Um, the, the, the ability to connect with fellow teachers has increased. And I think that it's like, you know, sending our, our, our son to school. One of the things that we love about um, his classroom is what happens outside the classroom. It, you know It's almost like being in the classroom is the excuse to learn what you really want to learn which is in the hallways and on the playground and i think eutropolis now uh, gives us the for the forum to do that yeah well, they've got their courses yes they've got their assignments they've got their lectures but it's everything that happens outside of that and around that is where the real sharing sharing and and learning takes place definitely
1: it's that community that also is you helped create um i mean You always said in in your uh, lessons that I I took with you that the students are the best resource. Uh, You know, we we as teachers become students, but we help each other, um, you know, as much or more than than the actual training itself. And it created so many connections around the world, people from Brazil, people from so many other countries that have so many different types of education that they brought to the ukulele uh, Mm. learning environment. And As a fellow collaborator uh, with James uh, and and a musician, what do you think is missing uh, with music education today?
3: Well, I'm on uh, a big kick these days. (laughs) I I think since COVID hit, we're all sort of trying to think deep thoughts and just figure out things that we maybe haven't been looking at very closely so my my line these days is I think most of our problems can be solved with greater empathy and greater humility I think across the board that that is true but I also think that that's true as a teacher we often come in I I'm a a cello teacher I have a private studio here and um yeah you often just come in as like some kind of authority but there's so much to be learned if you, if you just take that humble approach. And then I also try in my own way to be empathetic by creating a pedagogy that suits every student individually. So I have a different kind of situation than James and that I, I'm able to just be one-on-one with people and tailor their repertoire, their learning, my teaching approaches to whatever it is they need.
1: And how was it to be with James on this journey of uh, creating the James Hill
3: Ukulele Initiative?
2: <laughs> yeah, how was that?
3: <laughs> well, how personal do you want to get? No, just kidding. Um, I, I, I've always really admired James as a person and as a teacher. I think w- one of the things that has attracted me to him is his passion for teaching because... You know the performance thing. It's a bit of a it, it's it's a bit insular. It's a bit of an ego thing. Uh, but to have an equal passion, I would say equal, Can maybe even more bigger passion, passion for teaching is yeah. yeah. It's just it's just been very inspiring to me, and I think it makes me appreciate him more. It makes me see his values more, and. Uh, it, it's it's just a great compatibility for me. I think you know behind the scenes it means like I'm cooking a lot of meals and I'm looking after Alder a lot and um, we we always sort of approach every project like this as like a family business and we all have our role to play and I'm I'm so delighted that he's doing something that i think is so important for the world and not just like building a new video game or something like that <laughs> like it's yeah it's it's easy to it's easy to help out when i can see that it really is helping to change lives and to bring music to more people i mean
1: even just building the the jihui uh, pedagogy and you you built the ukulele in the classroom series with uh Chalmers. Char- 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 don't sorry that,
2: that you got it will... <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> it's a mouthful yes um
1: h- how is it to work with him and, and to create all of this uh new material
2: well chalmers has always he just been... had a birthday he did just have two birthday. days ago yeah yeah so happy
3: birthday chalmers. happy
2: birthday to happy him
3: birthday.
2: uh to to the you know the godfather of canadian ukulele you know he's just 15 minutes down the road and and a big part of the reason that we live in this part of Canada is because he's 15 minutes down the road and in collaborating with him on these books I you know fell in love with this area and we've been here now for uh, over a decade you know so he's had a huge influence on our own lives and and getting to know he and his wife has been one of our great joys, uh, and they're, they're good friends with Alder. And His
3: wife is amazing. Jean She's is one of the one, wisest people I've ever met in my life. She's very amazing. amazing lady. Speaking of supporting the husband's endeavor, mm-hmm. incredible.
2: So, and also being a musician and a teacher in her own right. Mm-hmm. So, um, working with him has always been, I've always felt that it was this amazing intergenerational experience, because I remember when I when I talked to Chalmers when I was a teenager. I first met him when I was 16. And then, you know, he was always very supportive. He liked the way I was playing the ukulele and he thought that was cool and but then we'd talk on the phone just occasionally. And I remember one of our early conversations, uh he said he said um I'm I'm willing to tell you everything we did wrong. And I was like, "Whoa, like okay." Uh Lay it on me because what he was saying was I'm over it. Like I'm not, my ego's not in this anymore. And I think that's what needs to happen for proper intergenerational work, which is so important because you get the wisdom of experience with that fire and passion and creativity of youth that says nothing's impossible. Those two alone don't get a lot done, but together they are just an incredible force, right? But the problem is ego. And you, you you often hear people saying, oh, well, that skips a generation. The reason it skips a generation is because you can't collaborate one generation back. There's not enough time for people to cool down and just get their own ego out of the picture. Or
3: even just have a vantage point. Like it just takes some time sometimes to see how things unfold sure, too. Sure, sure.
2: I think there's some very practical reasons why some things and some collaborations work better across generations. And so that, that for me, that's always been one good example of that. So that that was it, really. I mean, um, we'd sit across the table from each other over these manuscripts and drafts and ideas and always have the ukes there playing and I would just say, you know, here's what I think we should do. And he would say, well, based on my lifetime of experience, you know, here's what's not going to work. And, and we just go back and forth like that in this constant tug of war between what, what was possible and what he could see based, based on his amazing sort of bird's eye view of, of uh, pedagogy. So in that way, it was always a really uh, very fruitful collaboration. And would you
1: say there were things that he brought to the table that you never would have thought of, your, thought of yourself?
2: Oh, yeah, like all the time, but but not necessarily in the sense of, oh, you know, here's a technique or here's a skill or here's a chord that we should teach. It was more like in terms of the psychology of how it was going to land. You know, you talk about one thing that Chalmers says often, which is the students will learn more from each other than they ever will from the teacher. Well, that's just like a lightning bolt of an idea if you've never heard that before. And as soon as you hear it, you know it's true, but it takes a real wisdom and, and, and the vantage point of time to realize that and to formulate it into a sentence where you can then tell somebody else that in a way that they'll understand. Things like that. Uh, things like, don't put everything in the book. You know, I'm like, what? You know, Everything has to be in the book. We have to tell people how to do everything. And he says, no, no, no. Don't put everything in the book. You have to leave room for the teacher to be the expert sometimes. And it's like, oh yeah. You know, because if the student just looks at the book and says, Well, you know, we've all had those teachers who just read out of the book. And and it doesn't create <laughs> a feeling of respect for the teacher because they're just reading down from Speaking the top left hand corner to the bottom right hand corner. He says, Leave room for the teacher. Don't put every answer in the book. You know, th- those kinds of things are just, uh, they, they're, they're so, so valuable. And there's only one way to get them, and that's, you know, to, to live through them.
1: And I, I just want to pause on what you're what you're saying right now, which is, it, it's it's really mind-boggling when you think of who Chalmers do is. Uh, the pioneer of uh, ukulele in Canada who brought uh, ukulele to Nova Scotia to pretty much... Uh, even out west, um, even to Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Wow, <laughs> yeah. and and you know Hawaii is <laughs> is considered the birthplace of the ukulele, um, and and he's the one saying, "Hey, you need to give room for other te- for other teachers to bring their expertise." Like uh, just yeah. thinking about uh, the humility, the humbleness that he brings um, is amazing.
2: Yeah, it's really amazing, and it's like I said, the minute you hear it. You know, it's true, but you don't always get there yourself. And you need, you need somebody like that to, to guide you.
1: Definitely. And um, I want to touch back on uh, what Anne was saying uh, that, you know, the wives uh, who support uh, the husbands and it could be the the other way around um, in other cases, of course. Um, But this is one of the the focuses that I like to put in change makers, especially when I make my uh, historical uh, shows where, there are so many people behind the scenes that are supporting the person who, who is, who is uh, kind of spearheading a movement. Um, and so it, I could really see how you and Anne are working so well together. Um, perhaps both of you are doing different things, though. I, I want to also ask you about your uh, cello and uh, ukulele duo and uh, how that all started. Uh, but it's amazing to see. And would you might tell us
3: a bit about uh, how you and James met and how your your duo started? Oh yeah, I hired him for a gig. That's how we first met. That's so true, I was the actually. boss in yeah. the beginning, yeah. and um, <laughs> he was uh, he was recommended to me, and I, I decided to hire him for this like background string trio or something at a, like at a that. bank i think yeah it was. it was it was it was the the credit union yeah, yeah I, no I, question yeah. you should have got married in a credit union then <laughs> <laughs> yeah
2: that would have been all right yeah
3: m- money's not our strong suit um, <laughs>
1: did you have an experience with uh, a certain student that you saw uh, it could have been an adult could have been a, a child who fought to learn uh, an instrument or, or ukulele, um, despite all odds where their family situation was on the rocks um, or, you know, something, something in their life was, was not working out at all, uh, but they still fought through it. Have you had those experiences?
2: Yeah. I, I mean, we, we get that with the ukulele oftentimes because, because the instrument is so accessible both from like a musical standpoint and also, just an economic standpoint, you know, it's a it's a very um, it's a very affordable instrument. So we, we do get students who wouldn't otherwise maybe be able to afford a cello or a, or a violin. But in terms of in terms of that like social angle on things, probably the most experience uh, comes from Anne's uh, work with you know Sistema, New Brunswick, for example. Did you want to say a word about that and how that's had an impact on on the way you do things?
3: Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think. There's no question we are incredibly privileged, <laughs> and now again with recent protests and we, it's just coming to the fore like how really fortunate and privileged we are. And I I had never fully accepted or not accepted but acknowledged that I guess. Um, so oftentimes, like just in daily life, we don't often come across families really struggling like that but oh, but I did have the opportunity to work with a wonderful program in Moncton, Sistema, New Brunswick and that is an orchestral program that is modeled off of a program from Venezuela. Uh, Maestro Obreu started this incredible, okay I'm gonna put this down, yeah, it's worldwide. Loaded, be careful. <laughs> it's a bow, it's, a, it's dangerous, a bow. Uh, he spearheaded this incredible worldwide phenomenon, essentially. So the premise is the kids have this immersion after school. In in Moncton, it worked as an after school program. And one of the reasons, speaking of like synergy and overlap, is, you know, Parents who are working two, three, four jobs, they, they can't always afford daycare or afford after school care. So Systema comes in, they, they screen kids, they accept the ones that, that are in the greatest need, and they offer this incredible program that's way better than any private program that, you know, the rich kids can afford. And it's this community of learning music. So it's this immersion, it's this community, and, and they are playing incredible music within the first few years of playing. And it's it's so exciting, and it's so incredible. I was only there for one year because, you know this guy. Uh, We were kind of back and forth and it didn't end up working for our family situation, but I would urge any of your listeners to check out that program. So Sistema New Brunswick is the one closest home here in the Maritimes, but I know there's a Sistema Toronto, there's um, St. James Academy in Vancouver. There's several programs that are based on this type of Teaching to specifically target the kids who would otherwise just not be be serviced through music, so it's it's pretty exciting stuff, and I was happy to be a part of it for a little while anyway.
1: That's spectacular! The Venezuela program that you're mentioning, uh, I, I believe that many of the students that are coming out of there are actually going and, and continuing their music careers in orchestras and, and
3: they they are well, they're um, uh, they're. Their poster child is Gustavo Dudamel, so he's he's now conducting the LA Phil, and um, the the man that we worked with in Moncton, his name is Tony Delgado, and he was also sort of part of that crew with with Gustavo. Uh, but the, I mean, not not only conductors, but also. Uh, the, like you look in the orchestra seats around the world, it's a lot of these kids from Venezuela beca- and, and it's because of this immersion, uh, like this is the other thing about, so I teach principally classical music, a classical training for my students because I feel like it's it's a very rigorous and very in-depth approach but the the challenge of that is that people aren't hearing classical music anymore in their everyday life they're not exposed to it whereas the maestro obreu's genius is that they are like these kids they're like singing these bartok pieces in solfege and like it's just incredible they're totally immersed which means that they they can embody this music in a way that's really authentic, and it's almost impossible right now when everyone is, you know, listening to pop music and trying to play a little bit of cello on the side.
2: But, but what's amazing about the immersion, and I think what any teacher can sort of pause and reflect on, is that um, it's it's very much like an immersion French program, which Alder's doing right now. Like you just go and you live the thing. It's not like you go to school in English and then they give you a handout that says, okay, now go home and, and learn these 10 French words. Because that doesn't work. That doesn't. We, we all know that doesn't work. You have to live, breathe, dream uh, the, the topic in order to really uh, absorb it. And and yet we approach music like that so, so often. So like I live my life uh, totally separate from music. And then on Wednesdays after school, I go to my piano lesson and then for half an hour (laughs) and somehow we're mystified when that doesn't work so well like whereas a a system like sistema those kids are just living and breathing it for hours a day they're they're, they're there for three three hours hours every day
3: monday to friday yep
2: and they don't even take the instruments home it's it's not like a thing like okay now go home and practice No, no no you're just gonna live in this you're going to live and breathe it for three hours a day. And that's much more powerful, especially in a social environment, um, than, than say, saying, go home and learn these 10 French words on your own. Uh, and anyway, so I, I think that's something we can all learn from.
1: Definitely. And, and what, what do you think is the impact on the social and emotional skills uh, that children can develop from that kind of thing?
2: Huge. <laughs> it's
3: just through the roof. I mean, mm-hmm. it music... Te- teaches you absolutely everything you need to know about life. Like, well, from empathy, cooperation, uh, exp- personal expression, discipline, um, uh, relatability, um, creativity, trying to come up with your own personal interpretations. Um you know, p- people who are interested in composition. There's that whole side of it too, and and um, yeah, I mean, really, like I th- I think music is so special in that it can teach you absolutely any skill that you need. And I find well, and it's funny. My my studio right now is all adult students, just for whatever reason. Just at this at this point in my in my teaching and i often find that it's a bit of a therapy session <laughs> you know like adults come in with all of this baggage and and they have these things that they can do and they can't do or they want to do and don't want to do and and then it becomes this way of just like navigating through and giving them this confidence this positive reinforcement this uh essentially like a champion like you can do this you're strong enough you're smart enough you're fast enough you can do this and i think it's it's no different for kids like having a a positive adult in their life who believes in them and who can help them to become a better person is just so so crucial mm-hmm. yeah. definitely and, and
1: james you were just mentioning about the you know how in connection with what Ann was bringing up about the uh, orchestras, uh, where if you're just going about your day without bringing music um, into your life other than the lessons, uh, it connects to another question that I wanted to ask: of what do you think is the importance of classical training versus ear training?
2: Well, I think that's like saying what's the importance of the left hand versus the right hand, you know. I, th- I think they they're complementary skills one focuses on on one set of skills and one focuses on another set of skills I think classical training gives you just the the, the mechanics and and the sort of musical logic that can really come in handy uh, and and training by ear or you know like a more folk music approach to training a more oral tradition. Gives you the more of the the feeling and the life and the creativity and the spark behind it. Um, but you know, we've all seen what just one of those sounds like or, or looks like on its own. Uh, the most compelling thing is where you have both working in tandem. It's it's like having both sides of the brain working on a problem simultaneously. We know that that is is the best way to go, and I think that that's very similar to. sort of a conservatory upbringing versus a uh, uh, versus a what what did you call it more folkloric or ear training um, background
0: What a fascinating episode in the next one with James and Anne you'll see them go through the process of creating a new song and how they go about doing that as well as mixing in many different styles to create something completely unique Thank you for lending your ears I'm your host Mike Cooper And this is Changemakers Without Borders.